Chapter 27, Part 2 of Marie Antoinette and Her Son. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Marie Antoinette and Her Son by Louise Miolba, The Hobby Horse. Jeanie Marie rose from her knees, took a light from the table, and approached the child, which was lying in its confined space as in a coffin. The little prince had raised himself up in his basket, and his pale face was visible as he looked, out of his large blue eyes, with curiosity and amazement at the sick child. "'He does not look like the king's son,' whispered Jeanie Marie, after a long, searching study of the pale, bloated face of the idiot. "'We will put his clothes on at once. Then he will look all right. For clothes make the man. Stand up, little one. You need to get up. You are not to stay any longer in your current prison.' "'He does not understand you,' said Jeanie Marie. "'Do you not remember that Toulon told us that the boy is perfectly deaf and dumb?' true i had forgotten it and yet it is fortunate for us for a deaf and dumb person cannot disclose any dangerous secrets come jeanie marie give me the clothes we will just set the little mute like a prince they put upon him the velvet jacket the short trousers of black cloth the shoes and stockings of the prince who still was looking out of his basket at the pale softly moaning child which was now placed by simon and his wife on the mattress there said simon throwing the coverlet over the boy there the royal prince is ready and we can say as they used to do at st denis when they brought a new occupant into the royal vaults the roy est more viva le roy fly quietly in your basket capet for you see you are deposed and your successor has your throne master whispered louis anxiously and timidly master may i ask you a question well yes you may you little nameless toad what is it master will the sick child have to die if i am saved what do you mean youngster what are you at i only mean master i only wanted to say that if the poor boy must die if he takes my place why i should rather stay here for well go on stupid what do you mean by your for you would rather remain here yes master if another is to die and be beaten and tortured for blows hurt so much and i should not like to have another boy receive them instead of me that would be wicked in me and-and you are a stupid fellow and do not know anything you are talking about said simon shaking his fist at him just put on airs and speak another such foolish word and i will not only beat you to death but i will beat this miserable whining youngster to death too and then you will certainly be to blame for it down with you into the basket and if you venture to put your head up again and if tomorrow you are not obedient and do just what we bid you i will beat you and him both of you to pieces and pack you into the clothes basket and carry you away down into the basket the boy sank down out of sight and when after a little while jeanie marie cautiously looked to see whether he had fallen asleep she saw that louis charles was kneeling on the bottom of the basket and raising his folded hands up to heaven simon she whispered simon do not laugh at me and scold me you say i know that there is no god and the republic has done away with deity and the church and the priests but let me once kneel down and pray to him whom little louis charles is talking now and to whom the austrians spoke on the scaffold without waiting for simon's answer jeanie marie sank upon her knees folding her hands she leaned her forehead on the rim of the basket and softly whispered louis charles do you hear me yes 
lisped the child. I hear you. I ask your forgiveness, whispered Jeanie Marie. I have sinned dreadfully against you, but remorse has taken hold of my heart and tears it in pieces and gives me no rest day or night. Oh, forgive me, son of the queen, and when you pray, implore your mother to forgive me the evil that I have done her. I will pray to my dear mamma queen for you, and I know she will forgive you, for she was so very good, and she always said to me that we must forgive our enemies, and I had to swear to my dear papa that I would forget and forgive all the wrong that men should do to me, and so I forgive you, and I will forget all the bad things that Master Simon has done to me, for my papa and my mamma wished me to. Jeanie Marie let her head sink lower and pressed her hands firmly against her lips to repress the outcries which her remorseful conscience prompted. Simon seemed to understand nothing of this soft whispering. He was busily engaged in packing up his things, and no one saw him hastily draw his hand over his eyes as if he wanted to wipe away the dust which suddenly prevented his seeing. Gradually it grew still in the gloomy room. The whispering in the basket ceased. Jeanie Marie had retired to her bed and had wept herself to sleep. Upon the mattress lay the sick, sobbing child, the substitute of King Louis the Seventeenth, who was in the basket. Simon was the only one who was awake, and there must have been dismal thoughts that busied him. He sat upon the stool near the candle, which was nearly burned out. His forehead was corrugated and clouded, his lips were closely pressed together, and the little flashing eyes looked out into the empty space full of anger and threatenings. It must be, he muttered at last, it must be. I should otherwise not have a moment's peace and always feel the knife at my throat. One of us must be away from here in order that he may disclose the other. I will not be that one. It must be too long. He stood up with the air of one who had made a fixed, unchangeable resolve, and stretched his bony, crooked limbs. Then he threw one last look at the stranger child that lay moaning and groaning on his mattress, fell upon his bed, and soon his long-drawn, sonorous breathing disclosed the fact that Master Simon was asleep. On the next morning there reigned in the lower stories of the temple a busy, stirring life. Master Simon was preparing to move, and all his household goods were set out in the court in order to be transferred to the wagon that commissioner toulon had ordered close to the wagon stood one of the officials of the public safety and examined every article of furniture that was put into it opening even the bandboxes and pillows to look into them not as he said the welfare committee doubted the honesty of the faithful and zealous servant of the republic but only to satisfy the forms and to comply with the laws which demanded that the authorities should have a watchful eye on everything that was at all connected with the family of the tyrants and you will do me a great pleasure if you will examine everything with the utmost care in the republic we are all alike and i do not see why i should not be served to-day as another would be on the morrow you know probably that i have been appointed collector at porte masson and after to-morrow i shall have to inspect the goods of other people it is all fair that i should have my turn to-day besides you will not have much more to examine we are almost through i believe there is only a basket with the soiled cloves yet to come that is the sacred possession of my wife and she was going to bring it out herself with the commissioner's help yes there they come at that moment jeanie marie appeared in the court followed by toulon they brought along by two ropes which served as handles a large and longish basket whose half-opened cover brought to view all kinds of women's clothes 
room there cried simon with a laugh room for the citronette simon and her costly dowry come no joking simon said his wife threatening him with her fist and laughing if my dowry is not costly enough i will only ask you to provide me with better things your dowry is magnificent said simon and there is not a single article lacking to make it complete come i will help the commissioner put the basket in the wagon for it is too heavy for you my fairest one he took hold of the basket with his strong arm and helped the commissioner swing it into the wagon but let me look first into the basket as my duty demands said the official you are too quick you know citizen that i must examine all your goods the law compels me to then i beg you to climb up into the wagon and open the basket said simon calmly you cannot want us to take the heavy thing down again for you to examine it i do not ask that citizen but i must examine the basket the official sprang into the wagon but jeanie marie was quicker than he and stood close by the basket whose cover was partly opened look in citizen she said with dignity convince yourself that only the clothing of a woman is in it and then tell the republic that you found it necessary to examine the basket of the famous knitter of the guillotine as if jeanie marie was a disguised duchess who wanted to fly from the hand of justice i beg your pardon said the official everyone knows and honours the knitter of the guillotine but but you are curious and want to see some of my clothes well look at them she raised those which lay at the top and held them up to the official with a laugh and down below what is farther down in the basket farther down replied jeanie marie with an expression of the greatest indignation and the most outraged modesty farther down are my dirty clothes and i hope the republic will not consider it necessary to examine these too i would at least oppose it and call every female friend i have to my help footnote madame simon's own words reported from her own account which she gave in the year eighteen ten to the sisters of mercy who cared for her in her last sickness the sisterhood of the female hospital in the rue sabrace publicly repeated in the year eighteen fifty one the statement of jeanie marie simon who died there in eighteen nineteen it was in the civil process brought against the duke de normandy who was accused of giving himself out falsely as king louis the seventeenth and who could not be proved not to be he oh you will not have to do that replied the official with a friendly nod of the head it would be presumptuous to go farther with the examination of your goods and the republic regards with respect the mysteries of an honourable wife he jumped down from the wagon while jeanie marie still wearing an angry look laid the cloves back into the basket and shut the cover down can we go now she asked taking her seat on a low stool which happened to be near the great basket yes if the official has nothing against it we can go answered simon our goods are all loaded then go on i have nothing against it and i wish you and your wife much happiness and joy in your new career the official waved them a last gracious adieu with the hand and the wagon started alongside of the great hard-mouthed and long-haired horse that drew the cart walked the commissioner in order once in a while when they had to turn a corner to seize the bridle and give it a powerful jerk at the side of the wagon strode simon keeping a watchful eye upon his possessions and carefully setting everything aright which was in danger of being shaken off upon the pavement above in the carriage near the great basket sat jeanie marie the former knitter of the guillotine her naked brown arm rested upon the basket on whose bottom covered with dirty linen and mistress simon's clothes was the son of marie antoinette king louis the 
seventeenth making his entrance into the world which should have for him only sufferings and illusions shuttered hopes and dethroned ideals this happened on the nineteenth of january seventeen ninety four and on the very day in which the unhappy king louis the seventeenth was leaving the temple his sister teresa who was still living with her aunt elizabeth in the upper rooms wrote in her diary known subsequently by the title recit de evermore arrivé au temple par madame royale the following words on the nineteenth of january my aunt and i heard beneath us in the room of my brother a great noise which made us suspect that my brother was leaving the temple we were convinced of it when looking through the keyhole of the door we saw goods carried away on the following day we heard the door of the room in which my brother had been opened and recognized the steps of men walking around which confirmed us in the belief that he had been carried away the pitiful wagon which gave its hospitality to the knitter of the revolution as well as to a king drove slowly and carefully through the streets unnoticed by the people who hastily passed by now and then they encountered a commissioner who came up to toulon greeted him as an acquaintance and asked after his welfare toulon nodded to them confidentially and answered them loudly that he was very well and that he was helping simon move out of the temple and going with him to porte masson the commissioners then wished him a pleasant journey and went their way but the farther they were from the wagon the quicker were their steps and here and there they met other commissioners to whom they repeated toulon's words and who then went from there and again told them over to their friends in the streets in quiet hidden chambers and in brilliant palaces and one such palace the tidings caused a singular commotion count Frot, who lived there and whom the public permitted to live in paris ordered his travelling carriage to be brought out at once the postilion with four swift horses had already stood in the court below half an hour waiting for this order the horses were quickly harnessed to the carriage which was well filled with trunks and scarcely had it reached the front door when the count hurried down the grand staircase thickly wrapped in his riding furs at his right sat a little boy of scarcely ten years a velvet cap trimmed with fur upon his short fair hair the slender graceful form concealed with a long velvet cloak that fell down as far as the shoes with golden jewelled buckles count Frotz seemed to bestow special care and attention upon this boy for he not only had him sit on his right but remained standing near the door to give precedence to the boy and then hastened to follow him he pressed the servants back who stood near the open door bowed respectfully and gave his hand to the lad to assist him in ascending the youth received these tokens of respect quietly and seemed to take it as a matter of course that count Frock should carefully put furs around his feet and body in order to protect him from every draught as soon as this was done the count entered the carriage and took his place at the left of the boy the servant closed the carriage door with a loud slam and the steward advanced with a respectful mien and asked whither the count would order to go the road to puy said the count with a loud voice and the steward repeated to the postilion just as loudly and clearly the road to puy the carriage drove thunderingly out of the court door and the servant looked after it till it disappeared and then followed the house steward who motioned him to come into the cabinet
i have something to tell you citizen said the steward with a weighty air but first i must beg you to make me a solemn promise that you will continue a faithful and obedient servant of the count and prove in no way false to your oath and your duty the servant pledged himself solemnly and the steward continued the count has undertaken a journey which is not to be spoken of and is to remain if possible a secret i demand of you therefore that if any one asks where the count has gone you answer that you do not know but above all things you are not to say that the count is not travelling alone but in company with the young gentleman whose name and rank i know just as little about as you will you promise to faithfully heed my words the servant asserted it with solemn oaths and an expression of deep reverence the steward beckoned to him to go and then looked at him for a long time with a singular expression as he withdrew he is a spy of the safety committee he whispered to himself i am convinced that he is so and he will certainly go at once and report to the authorities and they will break their heads thinking what the count has to do in pui and who the boy is who accompanies my lord well that is exactly what we want put the bloodhounds and murderers on a false scent that is just the object of the count and for that purpose monsieur morin de guerverie has lent his only son for all that we have and are our lives our children and everything else belong to our king and lord i hope therefore that the count's plan will succeed and a safety committee be put on a false scent meanwhile the pitiful carriage containing simon's goods had slowly taken its way through the streets and halted at its goal the custom-house near porte masson before the building stood a woman in the neat and tasteful costume of the washerwomen from the village of vans which then as now was the abode of the washerwomen of paris well cried the woman with a loud laugh helping mistress simon dismount from the wagon well you have come at last for two hours i have been waiting for you for you ordered me to be here at eleven and now it is one what will my husband and my little boy say about my coming home so late i beg your pardon said jeanne marie with a kindly voice our ride was a good deal slower than i thought for the things were packed only loosely and if we had ridden faster they would easily have been injured but i will not detain you longer and you shall have my wash at once there are a great many clothes this time and i have therefore thrown them all at once into the basket so you can put the basket right upon your wagon and bring the things back in it hello simon and you commissioner take hold and lift the basket down and carry it out to the washwoman's wagon that is standing near the gate the two men immediately lifted the great basket and carried it to the open cart which stood there in which they arranged in regular order great bundles of dirty linen near the gate stood the sub-collector whose superior simon now was and it therefore did not occur to him to examine the basket which his new chief was putting in the washerwoman's wagon some busybodies who stood around turned their whole attention to the wagon which contained the furniture and goods of the new collector who was of course a very important person in this remote quarter and jeanie marie endeavoured with her loud words and choleric gesticulations to fasten the attention of the idlers upon herself nobody regarded the two men who had just put the basket into the washerwoman's cart and no one heard the words that they softly spoke together the washerwoman had raised the cover and was rolling around the clothes as if she wanted to examine the contents of the basket sire she whispered softly as she did so sire do you hear me a weak faint voice replied i hear you 
And shall you be able to bear it if you stay a little longer in your hiding place? Oh yes, I shall be able to bear it, but I am anxious, and I should like to be away from here. The washerwoman closed the cover of the basket and sprang down from the wagon. Everything is in order, she said, and it is high time that I should be off. I have a long way to go, and my husband and child are expecting me. Then go, with God's blessing, said the commissioner, shaking hands of the washerwoman as if she were an old acquaintance. Go, with God's blessing, and may he protect you from all calamity and bless you with happiness and joy. He spoke loudly, as if this was intended for the ear of some person besides the washerwoman, and another had heard the words of Toulon, and a soft and tremulous voice called, Farewell, Fidel. I thank you, dear Toulon. The wagon was at once in motion, and drove quickly down the street through the rows of small houses in the suburbs. The two men stood and looked after it till the washerwoman's carriage disappeared in a cloud of dust. Toulon raised his eyes slowly to heaven, and a pious expression illuminated his good, energetic countenance. "'Thou lookest down upon me, my queen and mistress,' he said, softly and inaudibly. "'I feel the glance of thy heavenly eyes, and it rests like a hollowed blessing upon my thankful heart. "'I know, my queen, that thou art satisfied with me this hour. "'It seems to me as if thy loved voice were whispering above me in the air the word, Fidel. "'Give me now thy blessing, that I may end my work, and rescue the daughter and the sister as I have rescued the son. My life is devoted to thy service, and I shall save all thy dear ones or die.' "'Well, Toulon,' said Simon softly, "'I have kept my word, and little Capet is released. Are you going to keep yours?' "'Certainly I shall,' said Toulon whose glance slowly fell from heaven, and whose face still glowed like one in a trance. Yes, Simon, I shall keep my word to you as you have yours to me. Come into your house, that I may pay you. He withdrew quickly from the gate and entered the house, which thereafter was to be the house of the collector, Simon. All was going on busily there, for Jeanie Marie had impressed into her service not only the sub-collector, but some of the curious spectators, and she scolded her husband, who was just coming in with Toulon, for talking too long with the washwoman instead of helping her. Do you two take the heavy mattresses and carry them into the next room? The two men quickly obeyed and bore the mattresses into the chamber. Then they locked themselves in. Toulon took several rolls from the great waistcoat which he wore under his blue blouse, broke them asunder, and let the gold pieces fall out upon the mattress. Count them, Simon, he said, to see that there are exactly two hundred and fifty double gold pieces, all bearing the exalted symbols of the one great and indivisible republic. May they bring you joy and be a reward for the great good fortune which you have brought to me, and to all who love the king and his house. But will no one reveal me? asked Simon anxiously, while busily engaged in collecting the gold pieces and hiding them between the mattresses. Say Toulon, will no one divulge and report me to the authorities? Be quiet, Simon, and fear nothing. To betray you would be at the same time to betray the great cause which we serve, and to surrender the young king to the persecution of his enemies. But no one knows, excepting me, that of your own free will you have helped save the king. With express reference to your safety, I have made all the other allies believe that I have deceived you, and that you know nothing of the concealment of the child. 
so be entirely without concern only toulon knows your secret and toulon is silent as the grave but let us go out now and help your wife bring the things into the house and afterward you can let me go without any further leave-taking farewell citizen may you be entirely successful in your new fields of labor he nodded with a friendly air to simon and as jeanie marie just then called the commissioner with a loud voice toulon hastily opened the door and hurried to her simon followed him with a long dark look then he slowly shook his head and his eye kindled it must be he said to himself softly i should otherwise have no rest day or night and it would be worse than in the temple he said so himself only toulon knows my secret so if toulon dies my secret dies with toulon and is buried with him and i can then enjoy my life and shall not need to live in anxiety and in perpetual fear of being betrayed but he continued after a brief pause what is done what must be done quickly otherwise they may fall into the very pit i have digged for too long if the little capet is fairly carried to a place of safety and escapes out of the republic toulon can avenge himself by reporting the whole story and bringing me to misfortune i must therefore while i am secure take away from the fellow the means of betraying me yes yes it must be so toulon must die that simon may live look out for your own self first and then your neighbours with a decided step simon left the room and entered the chamber where toulon was busy with jeanie marie in arranging the furniture i am glad to find you here still said simon nodding to him for i had entirely forgotten to tell you that i have a present for you which will certainly please you and which i have saved and laid away expressly for you what is it simon what kind of a present have you for me a very precious one at least such as you and your like will consider so i think i have the long yellow locks which jeanie marie cut yesterday from little capet's head and will you give them to me asked toulon eagerly yes that i will and it is for that purpose that i have brought them along they are lying with all the letters in my work-box but i cannot get at them to-day in all the confusion for they are at the very bottom of the box but come to-morrow morning and you shall receive your costly treasure if you like you can come about nine o'clock and if i should happen to have anything to do and not be here i will give the hair to jeanie marie and she will hand it to you be sure that i shall come said toulon earnestly give me your hand and let me thank you for your delicate act of kindness i certainly did you a wrong for i did not hold you capable of such a deed i thank you simon i thank you from my heart and to-morrow morning punctually at nine i shall be here to receive my precious possession farewell till then simon i have no quiet now but must run around and see whether everything seems as usual in the temple and our secret undiscovered he hastened away and disappeared around the corner the whole day simon was busy with his own thoughts and engaged in arranging the furniture with his mind clearly not on his work in the afternoon he declared that he must go to the temple again because in the upper corridor he had left a chest with some utensils in it which were his it seems to me husband you are homesick for the temple said jeanie marie jestingly and you are sad because you are no longer in the old black walls yes i am homesick for the temple replied simon and that is why i go there but he did not take the way to the temple but to the city hall and rang the bell so violently that the porter dashed to the door to open it 
it is you citizen he ejaculated i thought something must have happened something has happened and i have come to inform the committee of safety answered simon impetuously has it met yes it is in the little council chamber you will find an officer at the door and can let him announce you simon strode forward and found the sentinel before the door who asked him what his business there was go in citizen and announce that simon is here and brings important news of great peril to the state a minute later simon was ushered into the hall in which the safety committee were assembled all those stern-faced men of the republic knew simon as a faithful and zealous republican upon whose devotion they could reckon and whose fidelity was immovable i am come said simon slowly i am come to bring an accusation against a certain person as a conspirator against the republic and a traitor to our liberties who is it and what has he done asked the chairman with a cold smile what has he done he means to do something and i mean to prevent him he means to release the wolf's whelp from the temple who knows but he may have done so already for when i left the temple this morning my successor had not come and little capet was alone who is it that is able to release the boy and the two ladies it is toulon the traitor the royalist toulon toulon replied petion with a shrug we know very well that toulon is a traitor and that the republic can expect only the worst from him that he can do he was accused once but escaped merited punishment by flight and he has unquestionably gone to coblenz to join the tyrant's brothers there our police are watchful and have discovered not a trace of him allow me to put the police on his track said simon laughing be so good as to send a couple of officers to me to-morrow and i will deliver to law the traitor into their hands end of chapter twenty seven part two read by ella barnett